Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, Rick here from uh, the Rick and Bubba Show and uh, themanchurch.com. Coming to you from uh, the newer studio. We're still trying to get settled in here. We've, we've got men here in the room, which is great to be back doing that again. Uh, those of you that uh, in the past... Uh, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, where we do this Bible study from. Uh, if you attended uh, with us in the past, we welcome you to come back now. Uh, I know the pandemic uh, really uh, affected things here, uh, and uh, as that begins to wane a little bit, and if you feel more comfortable with that, we'd love to have you come back and join us. Uh, and if any of you from the other markets, you're ever in town on a Wednesday, and uh, you can make it over to the Rick and Bubba Studios uh, by 12 uh, new, uh, Central Time, noon Central Time. I try to combine noon and 12. Uh, we're here just about every Wednesday. It, it's rare that we're not here. Uh, and you can always find out if you pay attention uh, on the times that I'm on vacation or we're not meeting. But those, again, are very rare. We also have a, a great library of Bible studies that we have done in the past. If you'd like to go back and get some of those archives from some of the other books of the Bible or our commentaries that we've been through, you can find those at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on Listen. That'll be the audio archives. Uh, or you can go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel and uh, click on the Men's Bible Study there, uh, and you can search those if you would like. Um, coming soon, because some of you have been asking about this, it'll, when I say soon, probably this summer, uh, some of you have asked, um, is themanchurch.com ever going to put an app out where you can go and search and find archives and old Bible studies and get new content uh, a little easier? Uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, that is going to be coming out this summer. So be uh, paying attention for that, and I'll tell you when that is available, and we'll add that to our arsenal. All right, so let's uh, speaking of themanchurch.com, let's talk about some things that are going on. If you are watching this or listening to this and the week uh, is the week of Valentine's, meaning this coming weekend is February the 18th and the 19th, Man, have we got man churches and conferences going on. There's, there's many that you can attend. So let's, let's just go chronological. So this week on Thursday, February the 17th, two man churches uh, in the great state of Alabama. You can go see Jonathan Evans at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama, Thursday night. Uh, that'll be uh, coming up, and you can get all those details at themanchurch.com. Uh, also Thursday night, Birmingham, Alabama, my home church, Valleydale, uh, we have a man church on Thursday night, the 17th. Andy Blanks from the man church team will be speaking there. And, of course, anytime you go to these, we'll be plugging you in or giving you opportunities to get into the curriculum that uh, that the church may be going through. We have, uh, as of uh, probably two weeks, we'll have three 40-week curriculums, uh, and churches all over right now are doing one of the first two that we put out, our third one, about to come out. And First Baptist Church Opelika will be plugging you into that third one because they've already done the first two years. Now we get into the weekend, and, buddy, is it packed. Uh, this weekend we have the Pursuit Men's Conference, Dothan, Alabama, at the Dothan Civic Center. You need to register, so we'll have an armband for you. Uh, there's room for you now, but we will not have tickets at the door. You need to move on this. Uh, I'll be speaking with Jonathan Evans. Uh, Andy Blanks will be there, too. Charles Billingsley will be leading worship. That'll be Friday night, half a day Saturday. Uh, and you can join us, and, of course, uh, themanchurch.com will be there with all of our resources as well. Uh, North Alabama, Hoax Bluff, Alabama. Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show and Lance Ingram from the Rick and Bubba Show will be there. Uh, Lance Ingram is the one who plays Dr. Lou on the Rick and Bubba Show, if you've ever heard that character, and if you have, you certainly haven't forgotten it. Uh, he'll be there uh, along with Sid Bream uh, of Major League Baseball fame, uh, who uh, we all wish could run a little faster if you're a Braves fan, but he got there. 
on a, on a very big moment in baseball history. He'll be speaking along with Tyler Stovall, who also uh, got into the Braves um, organization uh, and has a very interesting story as well. That's Hoax Bluff, Alabama, Cross Creek Com- Community Church. That's February 18th and 19th as well. Uh, and then if you want to go to a couple of man churches, uh, First Baptist Church, Scottsboro, Alabama, is doing two. They're going to do kind of combine these man churches in kind of more of a conference format. Mark Garnett from themanchurch.com speaking on Friday night. Brian Gunn from themanchurch.com speaking on Saturday. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on, and that is all just happening this week. Uh, if you're looking ahead, uh, I'll be going to Salem Heights Baptist Church in Laurel, Mississippi the, uh, next Sunday, February the 27th. I'll be speaking to the men, and my wife Sherry will be speaking to the women. So you can find that at rickandbubba.com under upcoming events or themanchurch.com. March 3rd, I'll be speaking at, uh, at Central Baptist Church Beast Feast. This is a gigantic gathering in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and I'm looking forward to being with all of you coming up. Speaking of Arkansas, on February the 20th, uh, they'll be kicking off the Men's Discipleship Strategy at New Life Church in Russellville, Arkansas, on February the 20th, uh, and uh, that's coming up Sunday. Uh, they're using uh, uh, an option that we have at themanchurch.com where I actually kick it off on video. I won't be there in person, but I'll be on the screen, and I'll lay out the discipleship strategy, give you a message of high challenge, and then give you an opportunity to plug in to those small groups as they start the curriculum there. Again, that's Russellville, Arkansas, February the 20th at New Life Church. A lot going on, and I'm just scratching the surface as far as the rest of the year. So you can find all that at uh, rickandbubba.com, burgessministries.com, or themanchurch.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's dive in. Today we'll be finishing Genesis chapter 7. We'll start in verse 6. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, May you bless uh, the studying of your word. Thank you for all that's going on. Uh, There's opportunities everywhere for Uh, people to be reached and or discipled. May your Holy Spirit be with all these men that are going out, and may your hand be upon it, and may the hearts be pierced of all who make the decision to attend. And we certainly can't make them attend. So may you press upon them and put every man in every seat and on every pew at every place uh, under your sovereignty. Just place them there and then open their hearts to hear from you, Lord, Uh, and take away all the uh, just... um, Uh, challenges that we have as fallen people. Uh, The only thing good about any of us is you, and may they hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's kind of update what's happening. We we left last week. We're in the we're studying uh, Genesis and we're walking through every word. We'll be here for a while because Genesis is a mighty book. It's a big one. So when we left last week, and you can go back and pick that up if you missed it, the 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 thing we kept hearing, and we're going to hear it again is that this person, Noah, has been introduced to us. His great-granddaddy is Enoch, uh, which that, that's been a great argument at the house if you say his name, Enoch or Enoch. If, uh, Enoch. if you go to the pronunciations, it says Enoch. Uh, my wife says it's Enoch. And then at our home church in Valleydale, Matt Brunson said Enoch this past Sunday, and she told my sons and I to eat it. So uh, so anyway, she says, if Matt Brunson says Enoch, then it's Enoch. And I said, okay. Uh, but But anyway, so... Uh, that's his uh, great-granddaddy, uh, and uh, Noah is a lot like his great-granddaddy because we see that he was found blameless in his generation, and God is about to save him, his uh, three sons, and their wives, and that'll be it. Uh, so, And we talked about some of those reasons. So the rescue operation 
uh, is completed where we pick up now, and you're going to see God preparing Noah for what is going to happen next. Uh, let's look at verse 6. Uh, we'll, we'll start with verse 6 and 7. A hundred years has passed since Noah, uh, and you see that in, in uh, chapter 5, and we talked about that verse 32. A hundred years has gone by since Noah became a father. He now has three sons. They're married. Uh, there are no grandchildren, apparently, because we don't hear any mention of that. Uh, and we know that prepared to get on the ark now is going to be four men and four women. Uh, we're going to have Noah. We're going to have uh, um, his three sons, their wives, uh, and then, of course, Noah's wife. So, so, And, and we don't get any mention of uh, what these uh, the wives' name are as far as the sons, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So let's go to verses 6 and 7. Noah was 600 years old. Uh, when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife uh, and his sons' wives went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. So 6 and 7, pretty straightforward. We see how old he is, 600. Uh, We'll get more details as we go on. Uh, The water seems to be the reason that Noah and his family are now entering the ark because the last thing that we see in uh, in verse 7 here is it says that uh, that they're going to escape look the waters of the flood. Now, when you get into eight uh, verse eight into nine a, uh, we get into the types of animals that Noah will be taking uh, onto the ark. So let, let's look at that in verses um, uh, eight, and then also to the first part of verse nine. So in verse eight, we read of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. So here, here's verse 8 to 9, 8. We know these are the types of animals that he took in. Uh, they're listed in four categories, uh, animals that are clean, uh, and that we're talking about by Jewish tradition. This is what God declared to be clean animals. Uh, then also we know that some of the animals are what God declared not to be clean for consumption and for sacrifice. And then the other categories is we got birds, and we got crawling animals, and we also see uh, that they will enter two by two, and we're gonna we're gonna enter as as as, as one male and as one female, uh, except we know there's some more pairs when it comes to some of the birds, but but now let's look at nine B. Nine B goes back to last week's lesson. Uh, and I, I talked to somebody who uh, we were talking about last week's lesson. They said, well, it started off kind of slow, but, buddy, it really picked up momentum uh, and, and ended strong. And what we ended on is what we're going to see in 9B. This is, what, this is why Noah is, is found in God's favor. Look what it says in 9B. So 9A, 2 and 2, male and female, went into the ark. Here comes 9B with Noah as God had commanded Noah. There it is again. Uh, we're, here, here is Scripture telling us once again what? Noah did exactly what God told him to do. So I would underline 9B. Uh, the reason why these animals are being loaded the way that they are being loaded is because that's what God said to do. And uh, and I think if, if we could all get to the point, uh, because I remember when I was trying to figure out in our third curriculum that's coming out from themanchurch.com, and you and you can do these any way you want to, but if you really want to go back to the the, the original vision of all the, the, the men on the team that have been working on this, it really is designed that curriculum one, the pursuit – and then curriculum two, real men, and then curriculum three, be disciples. Now, you can do them any way you want to, but if you're, if you're going to follow the design, not it's not as important with the pursuit and the real men, 
But I do believe Be Disciples is important. I wouldn't do Be Disciples when it comes out if you haven't done at least one of the other two because it's going to go to another place. It's, it's designed to – it's almost like it's designed to be 101, 201, then 301, and then 401 is coming. And, and we're, we were planning on, on the fourth curriculum yesterday. But, but I remember this question because the third curriculum is called Be Disciples. And I think a lot of times we throw these words out and, and we just assume, you've heard us talk about, you know, like spiritual leader. We've all heard that we're supposed to be the spiritual leader, and you've heard us say, but is anybody ever going to show us how to do that? And, and so one of the things I remember thinking is I hear this thing of, of this call to be a disciple, but what exactly is a disciple? So, so this is what we're seeing what a disciple is, even in the, the, the original covenant in the Old Testament. We're seeing it here as it points us toward the new covenant and the church age that is coming. One thing that doesn't change, if you want to take when Jesus now in the new covenant says, I'm calling you now to be my disciples, and I'm telling you to be disciples and make disciples. Hey, Jesus, now, now the voice of God. Hey, uh, a son of the Trinity. What does it? What is a disciple? And really, if you take it down to just the basic foundation a disciple is someone who says what Jesus says to say and does what he says to do. And, and we see this right now. Why do we know that Noah is, is in God's favor? One of the reasons is he does whatever he tells him to do. And he's not doing that to, you know, uh, and, and we would say in the New Covenant, we're not doing that to earn our salvation. We're doing that because we've actually been redeemed. We now belong to Jesus. You know, when I didn't do what Jesus said to say, I didn't say what he said to say, and I didn't do what he said to do. You know why I didn't? Because I didn't belong to him. Guess whose authority I was under? My own. I was a disciple of Rick. So I said whatever Rick wanted to say, and I did whatever Rick wanted to do. Well, see, Noah is saying that's not who I am. I'm so, I, I walk with God in such a way, when he tells me to do something, I just do it. And, and somebody say, well, well, talk to me about that because this is the Old Covenant. Well, you see this if you go to Hebrews and you go to the Hall of Fame. Is it Hebrews 11? I think it's 11, the Hall of Fame. You go to Hebrews 11 and you see all these, these, this Hall of Fame of the Bible, and one of the people you see is Noah, but you'll see all of them having one thing in common. They had a saving faith looking toward the New Covenant, still under the sacrificial system, but looking to the, to the New Covenant, their saving faith, just like our saving faith, their saving faith was a faith of action. It's not talking about earning anything. It's just saying that when Noah was told to build the ark, he built it. He didn't just sit there and go, I believe that I'm supposed to build it. So we see a lot of that in the New Covenant, don't we? I believe in Jesus. Well, good. So do the demons. So does Satan. But do you do what Jesus says to do? Is there any action that comes with that that you, you know, you, when, when you see James talking the, the verses that saved my life, you see James talking to a church. He's not talking to lost people. You see Paul talking to Corinth. He's not talking to lost people. And what does he tell them? You got to take some initiative. You, you, you got to submit yourself then to God. You need to resist the devil. You need to come near to God so he'll come near to you. That's James. Then you see Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 examine yourself to see if you're even of the faith. And, and then he starts saying it's one thing to, 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 to hear these things. James talks about this, but it's quite another to actually do them. And, and those doing them doesn't earn you salvation. What it's saying is doing them proves you really have been redeemed. 
There, there's there's some there's some initiative that comes. There's some draw. There's there's obedience. This a result of salvation. So this saving faith you see in the Old Testament, the uh, Abraham didn't believe that God told him to go. He went. Noah didn't believe that God said build the ark. He built it. Noah didn't. He, you know he didn't sit there and go. I believe that you want these animals loaded in a certain way. I believe you do. I just ain't gonna do it. No, what he said is, I believe it so much, I'll prove it by actually doing it. That, that's, that's, that's a saving faith. And so that's, uh, that's what's going on here. So moving on. Um, I'm going to preach a sermon here if we don't move on. Uh, verse 10. So let's talk about verse 10. Verse 10, as we walk through the book of Genesis, and after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. The seven days here notes that Noah again... Here we go. What does seven mean? Completion. He's completing his task. He, he is the right choice to preserve the animal life, and more importantly, he's the right choice to preserve human life. The seven says that Noah is going to complete his task, and then, and then we're going to start the water. Um, and then, the, then you look at 11 and 12, and this, this is really cool. In the, in the, now you're going to see Moses get really specific about Noah's age right here. Look for these very these these minute details you find in Scripture, which shows you. If I was making up a book, I have no reason to get into these minute details. Also, by the way, if I was making up a book, I would never look bad in the book. Okay, and and these people look bad a lot, uh, and I certainly wouldn't die for something that I knew I was making up. I might I might I might die for something I didn't know was false, but I ain't gonna die for something I know is false. So anyway. So let's look at 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and on the 17th day of the month, on that day, underline this, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Man. So um, we know about the number 42, don't we? These numbers are important in the Bible. They're very important. This this is what the forty days is a, is is a number of probation, it's it's a number of of testing, uh, and 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 we see this throughout Scripture. You see it over and over and over again. You even see our Lord and Savior. He fasted for how long? Forty days, and then what happened? He was tested. So so you, now comes the forty days and the forty nights on the earth. But notice something that that's mentioned here that you may not have ever noticed before. The flood began on the 17th day of the second month in Noah's 600th year. We see here that this is not only the first mention of rain in Scripture, which, by the way, it is. We also see that there is a supernatural distortion of the earth's crust to release underground water in vast quantities. And and here's what's beautiful about that. If you go back to creation— you see, the God of creation, he once did what? He gathered the water, and he told it where to go. And now he's going to destroy the earth by water, and here he is once again telling the water what to do, and it's doing it. So you start thinking about how do we get so much water so fast? Well, rain was part of it. It says that. The heavens open up. And there's no mention of rain in Scripture up to this point. This is all a new concept. But it says also all the underground water, all the aquifers, are now bursting through the crust of the earth. So this earth is filling up from it coming down and coming up, and water's just coming down on everything. You see how this is happening? This is, this is not a mild event. 
that is taking place, and it's important that Noah had built that ark the way he was told to build it. I'll tell you that because we're about to go on a wild ride. So, uh, so, but, but this, this, this point where God is, is, is once gathering the waters, now he's releasing them onto the earth for what? Destruction. So we see the fact that he's going to preserve mankind. He's going to preserve animal life. So we see what? God's grace and God's mercy. That is part of who he is. But what are we seeing by the water bursting from underneath and from the bottom for total destruction? We also see his wrath. We also see his judgment. And the mistake we cannot make, anybody anybody remember the Bible study knowing God? We don't take any of his characteristics and take any of them out. They're all important. As a matter of fact, I can't really appreciate his grace and mercy if I don't understand his wrath and judgment. Uh, and, and his wrath and judgment, just being straight up, because I'm not delusional about myself anymore, his wrath and judgment makes a lot more sense to me than his grace and mercy. It always has. These people that, that, that don't understand or are perplexed by God's judgment and wrath, I, I think those people are still full of themselves. Because that, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I'm more shocked by the, fi- the fact that he hasn't killed all of us. And certainly he should have killed me years ago and had every right to do it And uh, because he's God and, and because of what I was. It's his grace and mercy that I don't know why we, everybody gets so – I'm just so delusioned by God's judgment and wrath. I'm not. I'm, I'm totally perplexed by his grace and mercy. That's the shocking thing. Um, all right, so so now we, we know this is going on, so now let's get to, um, to verse 13. Let's look at 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, Japheth uh, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. Uh, so let's, let's break down who all's going in. Uh, we got Shem, we got Ham, we got Japheth. They're mentioned by name only here in the flood narrative. All the men are mentioned. The wives' names are not mentioned. Uh, it is from this verse, and this is really cool, that Peter could mention eight people. Now, let's, let's turn over that real quick. We did this study, but let's, let's go over to 1 Peter. Can you do that? Just hold Genesis. It's in the front, so that'll be easy. Uh, and let's go over to 1 Peter, and, and let's get over to chapter 3, uh, and let's look at 20. So 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's look at verse 20. Um, and then this is back to when we talked about Peter talking about the, the Nephilim, too, that we talked about in, in, in 6. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a remover of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to uh, to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So go, go back again to what Peter's saying here. He's wanting to go back to that number eight, and he's pointing this to redemption ultimately coming uh, for all mankind through Jesus. If you understand the numbers, seven is God's number for completion. It's his perfect number, okay? We, we told you 40 was his number for uh, probation, for testing, for refinement, the number eight, and this is fantastic, is the number of new beginnings. If you look at when 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 you think about looking at, if you really look at how the numbers worked out on the week of even the resurrection, 
is the reason why that we you know we start going to that instead of the first day of the week that now is what we call the Lord's Day. If you look at it, you know you got you've got you the way that the the week you know uh, turned out. You, you're talking about going through these first six days, and then you get to that seventh day where you have perfection and completion, and then that gets us to there's we 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 look toward an eighth day, which means now that is the number of a new beginning. And so the 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 choice of eight people for for God was not random, okay. Uh, and we also see this looking at that what we see that Noah and his sons uh, do not practice polygamy. I mean, the sons didn't show up and says, "Hey, we got to have room. I got to, I got I got I got four wives. Oh yeah, I got five. I got eight. No, they had one wife. Noah had one. All the sons had one. Uh, we got the number eight, and let's all get on. Let's all get on the ark." So they did not practice polygamy. Uh, remember, we talked about one of the first things we did as human beings as rebellion is that we started, in, instead of looking at creation, where Noah was given one perfect helper, one perfect partner, one wife, uh, the, they began to take multiple wives, but not Noah's family. That's not going on there. All right, so now let's go to verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16 uh, they and every beast according to its kind, remember, underline that, its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, uh, and every creeping thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And we covered that. Now let's look at 16. And those that entered male and female... Um, of all the flesh, uh, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded, and the Lord shut him in. This is really cool here. All right, so we know that uh, there's um, most of the types we see here mimic the animals created on the fifth and sixth days. We see the details, and these details are are showing again that Noah did exactly uh, what he did. He did it exactly the way God told him to load the ark. Now, this is really, really cool. So, and, and you remember what we said about its kind. You know, people always talk about, you know, the people go against, oh, the ark is a made-up story. There's no way you get all those animals on there. I don't care how big it was and all this. But what they don't understand is what Scripture said is he was told to get two of each kind. And I told you the example. If, if, he's, if, if, if he, he was going to represent canines, go get me two canines, male and female. We're not loading golden retrievers and we're not loading chihuahuas. Praise God for that. Uh, and, 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 you know, we're not – I wish they had been eradicated. But uh, so we, we are – you know, he's just, he's just loading to a male and female that represent every kind of dog there ever could be. They're not all on there, okay? And that would be the same thing with the different kinds of birds and, this, and, and all this. We're, we're not really talking about – now, if you want to get into this discussion, and, man, we could get really, really deep on where, where are dinosaurs and all this. Um, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, they – they do believe that the dinosaurs, uh, you know, made this trip, but they put them on as, as juveniles or infants or eggs or whatever the case may be. I don't know that. There's, there's another theory, and, uh, you know, and it gets into that age of the earth back in uh, Genesis 1, which, by the way, I've seen this, that Bible study has gotten so many listens and views and got so many questions, and we kind of obsess over these kind of things. But, um, you know, there's one... Um, there's theories out there with some of the dis, uh, dispensations that think that um, that dinosaurs were part of the first world and the first flood, 
uh, and part of the angels being thrown down to earth and that, that dinosaurs were not, not part of life after uh, Adam and Eve. They actually were before that, uh, that the earth has set here, you know, dark and void, uh, and, and what we're dealing with in Genesis is the beginning of human beings and, and God redoing something that had, that had fallen and, and Satan and the angels had been cast there and that the dinosaurs were part of that. I don't have a, a dog in this hunt. Uh, it's clear that when Job is being shown by God what he uh, can do and Job can't do, that God does show him definitely one dinosaur, maybe two. Uh, so that is part of God's resume. Now, when they were actually here, there's all kinds of debates about that. Uh, but if you go to the Answers in Genesis people, they're young earth all the way, and they believe the dinosaurs were part of life uh, for human beings for a period of time. Uh, and that when Job was shown these dinosaurs is because he'd seen them before. That could be. Or Job's just been shown those because they're on God's resume for whenever they were here. Uh, I'm, also, I'm thankful they didn't make it uh, into my lifetime. Um, we have enough trouble. Can you imagine them on, on Highway 280? Uh, but anyway, so it's bad enough how many deer we got laying around. Can you imagine that? We got a brontosaurus down. That shut the interstate down, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know that, uh, but uh, all I know is that they have been part of the world's history in, in some way, shape, or form, and, uh, and, and God was the one who created them. Uh, when they were here and when they weren't here, I, re- I really don't know, and, and I don't really think anybody else does either. Uh, but there's some great theories out there about it. But if they were put on the ark, that's fine with me. God got them on there, and I would think uh, the theory that they were put on there as, as juveniles or his eggs is probably likely the way that would happen. Uh, but the, 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 uh, because of this thing and its kind, the, the boat was really, really big, and it certainly didn't have any problem uh, with, um, with room. But I think what we might want to look at in this, um, this historic event that's a little more important than that, frankly, uh, it's, it, it's a lot more important than that, is that God is preserving human beings. And when you read this beautiful, beautiful um, God-inspired recount by Moses. Look at this beautiful part. Most of the types we see here, again, mimic uh, animals that were created on the fifth and sixth days. Noah's doing exactly what God said to do, the way he told him to do it. But notice verse 16. Let's look at this again. Verse 16 is absolutely beautiful. It says that, uh, And those that entered, male and female, of fle- uh, those that are of flesh, went in as God had commanded. So there's Noah's uh, obedience again. And the Lord shut him in. Man, don't miss that. I, I, that's a double underline. And the Lord shut him in. He did exactly what God told him to do, the way God told him to do it. And the Lord shut him in. And this is... Uh, this is a great, great quote, and this comes out of the commentary that I read from J.W. Ferguson. Listen to this. This is beautiful. How dreadful the destruction of the rebellious, those that rebelled against God. And, and, and remember what I told you before, and, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24 when he refers to the days of Noah. The thing that, that we could consider is one of the things that, that broke God's heart and, and kindled his wrath was that he is giving warning. He is giving warning 
and all they want to do is go about their lives and go about their day and do the things they like to do, and they don't want to be bothered with any warning coming from God. Leave us alone. Let us live our lives like we want to. We've already established back in the garden that we don't want you to decide what's right and wrong for us. We're going to decide it for ourselves. And we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to go to the lake house right now. Don't want to be bothered. I got 18 holes of golf to play. I don't want to be bothered. I got a hunting trip coming up, and I don't want to be bothered with that. My kids have got a tournament this weekend. I can't be bothered with that. I've got my company doing this, and I can't be bothered with that. And I've got this thing I want to buy, and I can't be bothered with that. And I've got this, and I've got that. And you know what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24? By the way, when I return, they're going to do it all over again. They're going to be going through their lives like it's no big deal. No matter how how many times you warn them that I'm coming back, no matter how many times you tell them that the church age and the grace age is, is going to be over at some point, no matter how many times you tell them they could die today, most of them are going to say, leave me alone. I just want to do my stuff down here because I built heaven on earth, and I can't be bothered with thinking about that. And he says, and they're going to be caught just like the, the people of Noah's time. That time it was a flood, this time it's going to be me. And I love in 24 when he says, and don't be bothered with people claiming they saw me. It, no one is going to have to fool with that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not coming back as a baby again. Nobody's going to be looking for some manger, okay? Nobody's going to come in and say some guy from Nazareth claims he's the son of God. We're not going to have all that again. I'm not going to be worried about a place to sleep anymore. I'm not going to be in poverty anymore. I'm not going to get beat again. I'm not going to be mocked again. I'm not going to have a crown of thorns on me again. I'm not going to be hung on a cross again. Baby Jesus and crucified Jesus is over. When I come back this time, there'll be no doubt. And a lot of people are going to be caught just going through their day just like in the days of Noah. So here, how dreadful the destruction of the rebellious. But listen to this beautiful part that J.W. Ferguson points out in verse 16. How secure the, sub, the subjects of God's mercy. He, he takes that door, just like, he, just like Jesus is doing for us, and he shuts that door. You know what he says? The flood ain't going to get these people. My wrath is coming, but these eight, I shut the door. I built the ark. It ain't going anywhere. They're not going to experience the wrath. They'll be protected from it. I shut them in. Shut in by his hand into a place of safety. How many of you love God right now? Huh? Even with his wrath coming down on those who chose it, they're the ones who decided that they would take wrath over mercy. Not that it wasn't made available. It's always made available. And so when he shuts Noah and his family in, What he's saying is, just like to those that have been redeemed, if you have been redeemed and you have salvation in Christ, you cannot be snatched from the secure place in which he shuts you in. 
Now, be clear, in the church age, and we've been talking about this a lot, uh, even at my home church, and, and, and I agree, and I'm taking note, and we're seeing it. Now, some of you are saying, well, there's a lot of people, though, Rick, that have claimed that they've been redeemed, and, and it looks like they're falling away. It, it looks like that they fell, they're falling out of the ark. Well, yeah, I mean, Scripture tells us that before Christ returns, there will be a great falling away. But what does John tell us in 1 John? There'll be a great falling away, but you need to understand those were never with us. <clears throat> they, they, they may have said something, but they were fake. They were apostates. They were fake. Matthew 7, many people talk about me. But only those who do the will of my Father are the ones I know. The others, I don't know who they are. There's a lot of talk about me. But you will see the ones that are my disciples. How will we see them? Because they produce much fruit that comes from me. They can't, they can't have me and not produce the fruit of me. You know what he says? Sooner or later, in the great falling away, people reveal who they are. You can't help it. We all reveal who we really are. And so what's happening here is, once again, you see this, this looking at the ark, and you see God's hand of mercy, and then you also see his hand of judgment, and it's all working together at the same time. And what we got to decide is which one of those hands are we going to receive. And be real careful playing games with his grace and mercy. Because you can push him too far. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Hey, you weren't freed to sin. You were freed from sin. Okay? You, you, you don't go out there and see how, show everybody how horrible you can be and God still save you. That's not, what, that's not redemption. That's not the gospel. And Paul corrects that. And then we get to verses 17 through 24. And now we see God's wrath after we saw his mercy. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Uh, this is this is this picture picture the the top of the highest mountain, and then picture about 20 feet of water before you get to the bottom of the ark. That that that's kind of what we're talking about. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. 23. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Wow. Wow. Total destruction. Total annihilation. Everybody's dead. 
all animals are dead. Except for who? Noah. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. You think it's important for a family to have a godly man? Why do you think all these people are in the ark that belong to Noah? What if Noah had not been a godly man? You think the other seven of them are on the ark? I mean, a daughter-in-law is my goodness. Like I talked about a few weeks ago, they, they, they picked good husbands. That was a good selection. In those days, they, they picked them, but them being picked by those husbands was a big deal. Do you see how important this is? Do, do you see why we're, we're trying so hard? Because I really, honestly, it get, it, you, we finally just got tired of it, and I know I did. I really just got tired of hearing over and over again how every time we do any research in the church, every single time we do it, we come back with the same exact result that the influence that God gave to a man, men and women equal, equal in value, co-heirs with Christ. This is not demoralizing to, to any gender, but there is a distinct influence that God has given to the male that can't be replaced and cannot be duplicated. So the question I have to keep asking over and over again, why do we treat men's ministry with so little regard? You just watch. I mean, you'll see the church. I see it everywhere I go. They'll be putting together something as simple as the announcements, and I've been there. No one ever puts what the men are doing in the announcement unless you make sure it's in there. They won't do it. You know we got that men's thing going on. Oh, wow. Yeah, we left that out of the announcements. Hey, can somebody mention the men's thing? And you'll look, and everything in the church that is going on, everybody's out ahead of it. They're getting it down. They're talking about it. They want you to know about it. They're obsessed with it. You think you're never going to hear about the children's choir when they swing, sing? You think anybody's ever going to miss that? You think the women's conference is ever going to be left out? You think the the... The let's all celebrate the missionaries is ever going to be left out? No, and I'm not, and it shouldn't be. But I'm telling you, men's ministry is treated bizarrely, apathetic, apathetically. It's bizarre, and I think it's because the adversary knows this and has known this forever, which is why he 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 started manipulating the man's leadership from the very beginning by testing him, by going after his wife to see if he would do his job, and he didn't. And Satan has been destroying families and societies and churches from the men down, and certainly, please tell me, we're finally going to wake up, wake up and quit being chumps about this and say maybe we should take men's ministry and we should take reaching and discipling men and place it up there as a priority based on all the research we keep telling you about Every Father's Day, maybe we should actually counter this move and think, you know what? If we could have more Noahs in the church, I bet we have a lot more families on the ark. But Noahs just don't happen. And uh, and and um, look at what happened here. Well, this man, 
is the reason his family is on that ark. And um, and I I, just, I don't understand it, but um, but there but there is some change taking place. And like I said, I'm just going to do what God called me to do. But I've I've finally learned, and I've just put it to rest. But when someone calls you to do something, and when the Lord is in it, and He says, "This is what I want you to do," just do it, and then let the let 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 everything fall where it falls. But I'm I'm not going to stand before God and God say, you know, I told you to put together this discipleship strategy, and why didn't you do it? Well, I didn't do it, Lord, because I just think me not many people would respond to it. That's not what I told. I didn't say that. I said do it. So no matter how it falls and how many how many times it's implemented, and, and there's some great things going on. Don't misunderstand me. But you can just feel, which is which is affirmation. You can just feel that when you go and start trying to reach and disciple men, the resistance that comes against it. And some of that resistance comes from the men themselves who say the right things. I, I remember this so vividly. Perfect example. And I think enough times past I can talk about this, and I'm not going to get specific. In, in, in a place far, far away, I was trying to – I was as bad as anybody. I always complained about the men's ministry, but I wasn't willing to do anything about it. I was as bad as anybody else. So finally God corrected that. So I was putting together what now is me and and Brent Jones and some other guys. We were all putting together what is now kind of the strategy from the manchurch.com, still critiquing as we go, but the basics of it. And I had a guy that started hounding me about the fact we weren't doing the prayer breakfast anymore. And I said, well, you know, the prayer breakfast, you know, and the wild game feast, you know, we, we've been there, we've done that. Uh, a lot of this is good fellowship, but there's just not a, good, a lot of good discipleship with it. And we're putting together these services. We, we're probably not going to do the, the breakfast. Well, I can't believe you're not going to do the breakfast. You know, that's the one thing that the men usually bring their kids to. Okay. So do you want us to do a breakfast? I mean, we could make that one of the things we do. We're going to do these other things. but So, well, yeah, I, I don't know why. we. I, I just can't believe we're not going to do the breakfast. Okay. All right. So we go out and we get a speaker. We go out and we buy the food. We promote the breakfast. We're doing the breakfast, doing the breakfast. You know, still, still on that strategy from the 1800s. Okay. And we're going to do the prayer breakfast. And um, we had it. Do you think he came? He wasn't even there. See, he liked complaining. But he wasn't committed. He didn't even come. After after hounding us to do it. I can't believe not doing the prayer breakfast. And then when we did it, he didn't come. I talked to another guy where some guys were trying to meet with me, and they were trying to talk to me about, well, we heard you doing something for men's ministry. This guy was a friend of mine. I went to him, and I was watching his face. And I said, yeah, I had some guys from your church come visit with me. His face just goes pale. He said, what? I name off who they are. He said, do you realize that I've been trying to get them to come to something at our church for years? They don't come to any of it. He goes, no, it's not true. It's not that we're not doing anything. Every time we try to do something, they don't come. And they meet with you now saying that they want to know what something, hear some advice from you. He goes, you wasting your time with these guys. They ain't never going to implement. They just like to talk about it. He said, I've been trying to get them to come to something for years. 
So sometimes the problem is the church making it a priority, but a lot of times the church stops making it a priority because every time they try to do something, they can't get men to do anything. So some of that has to be on us that we're actually going to participate in. You know, and, and but I can tell you now, and I, I like this now, and is when somebody says, Hey, I'm looking for something, I can now say, oh, I can give you all kinds of options. But I can't make you do it. But it's available. But I can't make you do it. I can't make you want something. That's I've I've learned that. I can't make you want it. Uh hopefully God can convict you and then you respond. But I, I've, I've just learned, and it's really got me a place of peace. I can't make anybody do something they don't want to do. <laughs> and you know what God told me? Now you kind of know how I feel. Dealing with you all the years I've been dealing with you. So, um, so I do apply all that to myself too. So when we look at what happens here, it says only Noah was left. We're at the end of chapter 7 now. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Can you imagine bouncing around in that boat for 150 days? Can you imagine the smell in there? I, I don't. How do you think they? Can you imagine? Yeah, they, they're getting it out. They, I mean, you got You got to be putting that out. You know. So, but 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 I want you to think about this. And we're going to touch on this because when Noah gets off this ark, something takes place that has had me perplexed for as long as I've known it. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but we'll get we'll get there. And and I finally had a, a pastor. We were talking about it, and he said, "Well, I want you to think about something, Rick." And I want us to think about this, and we're going to close, and we'll be done. You know, Peter. When we went through our study of Peter, Peter starts talking about how God is going to destroy the earth for the final time, for the new heaven and the new earth. And it's not going to be water, because he's already said he's not going to do it by water. But it's going to be by fire. It's going to be some sort of atomic where every everything that holds life together is going to evaporate in this. As I, as I, as I heard a pastor say one time, y'all don't worry about global warming. He said, he said, you're right on the fact that this earth is going to burn, but you ain't going to get to do it. God has saved that for himself. And, um, and, and Peter is talking about this, about the day of the Lord. And um, he, he gets down to talking about not overlooking the fact that um, God is calling us to repentance. And the reason why he hasn't done it yet is because of his grace. He's delaying it so that more people have opportunity, just like he let Noah build the ark for 120 years. And and Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And verse 11 is exactly what I'm talking about. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God? 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And you know what Peter says? If you really believe that, why aren't you living differently? He says, you would think knowing this, you'd live differently. You'd think our lives would be lives of holiness and godliness since we know that's coming. Well, I can imagine that Noah, as he floated around for 150 days, is kind of how we're going to feel when he's thinking to himself, nobody listened. There's eight of us, and everybody else is dead. I, I hope we don't have to experience what that's like when the day of the Lord comes and we think about those that are burned and dissolved and vanish under God's wrath and we think to ourselves, they're, they're all dead. I guess I didn't have another day. I guess there really wasn't more time. I guess talking to them about the coming of the Lord maybe should have been moved up the priority list as opposed to something I'll get to after I'm done with everything I really want to do and that I deem of more value. You can take someone on the greatest vacation in the world and you can experience the greatest ball game in the world, but if they die and go to hell, it ain't going to mean much. The ark is being built. Jesus is coming. Or you're going to die. Or they're going to die. This is something that, that really is going to happen. And as Peter says, we're not going to get another flood, but we are learning from this story and from this historical event that when God says he's going to destroy things, he really will do it. And he says he's going to do it again for a final time by fire. That really is going to happen. And I can't imagine what it was like for those people that mocked Noah, made fun of Noah, thought Noah was crazy. Can you imagine when that aquifer burst and that water started bubbling up and that rain started coming down and that door shut? And I have a feeling that when God shuts a door, you can't just come pull it open. He literally shut the door, meaning the opportunity for grace has passed. And he's going to take that hand on that faucet of grace and mercy in the church age and a time that he knows about it and nobody else does, the Father is going to take that faucet and he's going to turn it off. And he's going to shut the door again. But praise God, it hasn't happened yet. Praise God, there is time. And there's time for you. And there's times, there's time for those that you love. Are those you just encounter because God put them in your life? We can't have the attitude that says, I'm on the ark, so good luck to everybody else. 
because I promise you we won't feel that way. I got my, I've taken care of myself. I'm good. That's not the call in our life. Our call is, since you've been redeemed, go out and tell others. When Jesus said in the Great Commission, what, teach them all that I've commanded you. What's one of those things? He's told us about redemption. He saved us. So tell others that I'll save them too. And make disciples. There's an urgency to that. And here is the Holy Word of God showing us that when he says there's urgency, he means it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that time. Thank you for the documentation of this, where you have shown us that um, that our rebellion, it, it cannot go unchecked. But praise God. Yes, the God of wrath. Yes, you are a God of judgment but you're also a God of mercy and grace. And we know as when we stand unredeemed that our sin cannot go unpunished. The only way, is, as, as Paul says clearly to the church at Thessalonica, those that have been redeemed will not face the wrath of God. We will not, the wrath of God will not come upon those who have the blood of the perfect lamb that has washed away their sins and made us fully righteous. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. There's people right now, Lord, that may be saying, I, I, I don't know that I've been made fully righteous. Well, maybe it's today the day you want to be sure of that. You want, you want to say, today's the day that I repent of my sin. Today's the day that, that, that I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. And, and I want to be protected under your blood when, when the wrath of God comes for the final time on this earth and on the unredeemed. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me. Just be sincere about that. Say, please forgive me. Scripture says that. Just, just repent. And, and, then, and then confess with your mouth after you've believed in your heart and confessed your sins. Say, I confess that Jesus is now Lord. I leave faith in myself, and I put my faith in you, Jesus. And I ask that you save me. Protect me. Forgive me of my sins. Teach me to love you. And teach me to go out and make disciples by first making me one. Scripture tells us if, if you're sincere in your heart, God hears your cries. He won't ignore the sincere heart that cries out for forgiveness. And maybe if today's your day or there's been other days, but today you finally got it, then, then reach out to me. I'll help you. I'll plug you in. I'll help you with the next thing. You can reach me, uh, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com or Rick at RickandBubba.com, either one. I'll help you any way I can. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your message, and thank you for these men that have for years made this a priority and have taken their faith serious, and I am watching you grow them as you grow me. We thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time today. If I can help you in any way, reach out to me, and Lord willing, we'll talk next week.